Hello, and welcome to episode number two of the Twilight Zone Club. I am Sharon Hawkinson, and let's get started. In the world of Gregory West, the subject of tonight's Twilight Zone, he doesn't just create the sort of world he wants to live in, he actually lives in the world he's created. Mr. Pop. Hello and welcome to the Twilight Pwn, the internet's third most popular Twilight Zone podcast. My name is John, I'm joined by my co-host Fred. Hello. How you doing this week, Fred? <laughs> I'm good. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. In his book, Remember, Remember, Charles Beaumont wrote, The world of radio was real to us. There are squirts and small fry today who will soon be as old as the us of then. And I know some who haven't turned the radio on in their entire lives. I try to tell them what it was like, but they don't understand. They can't believe I'm talking about the little plastic box in the kitchen that plays rock and roll and gives us news, and I'm not sure I believe it either. Television is the substitute for what we had, and I deem it a bad one. It inspires neither loyalty nor awe. It does not thrill, transport, terrify, or enchant. It only entertains. These days, it seems odd to us now the idea of family sitting around a radio listening to plays and music. But when this episode that we'll be discussing tonight was released in 1961, that progression of radio being the primary source of entertainment in people's homes, moving on to television, was still very fresh in people's minds. Short enough time ago that people still remembered it, but long enough ago that people could still legitimately feel nostalgic about radio. And that's exactly what our main character, Ed Lindsay, feels in tonight's episode of The Twilight Zone, Static. Hey, Mr. Lindsay, what's that? That's a radio, boy. Yeah, what's it do? Don't you know what a radio is, boy? Well, sure, but I've never seen one like that before. No one ever saw one quite like that, because that's a very special sort of radio. In its days, circa 1935, its type was one of the most elegant consoles on the market. Now, with its fabric-covered speakers, its peculiar yellow dial, its serrated knobs, it looks quaint and a little strange. Mr. Ed Lindsay is going to find out how strange very soon, when he tunes into the Twilight Zone. First broadcast on the 10th of March 1961, written by Charles Beaumont and based on a short story by O.C. Rich and directed by Buzz Kulik. Now it seems at this time Buzz Kulik was their go-to guy to direct stories that played around with time. He directed King Nine Will Not Return about an airman who is 
mysteriously transported to his aeroplane that crashed years earlier. The trouble with Templeton, an actor, is transported into his past. And the one after this episode, Static, a hundred yards over the rim, also features a time shift. And he directs another five Twilight Zones after that one, so we'll see how much that trend continues. So our Rod Sailing open narration, good use of him in the scene as Ed carries the radio out of the room. But he would have to be in the scene as this is, again, one of those episodes, the videotaped ones. But to be honest, I think this is probably the episode so far where it seems to matter the least. You know, it looks okay. The locations are mainly indoors, which helps. It's the boarding house where Ed lives, so for me that videotaped aspect is pretty much forgotten straight away. So our setup in this episode is that the main character, Ed Lindsay, lives in a boarding house with several other tenants. The professor is one of those tenants who seems to be there to give Ed someone to verbalise his thoughts to for us, the audience, and he serves that same purpose with one of the other boarders, Vinny, and we see early on that Ed is annoyed by the other tenants being so glued to the television and that early scene where Ed is kind of losing his temper with everyone else in the house strange in some ways because it shows Ed stood there complaining for a minute or so but whether by mistake or design his voice is pretty much drowned out by the noise of the television so I'm not quite sure whether that was intended to be there to kind of show how television drowns conversation out possibly and then he goes down into the basement and he dusts off this beautiful old radio. But before he does, we see an old photograph of him and Vinny looking very much like a couple. And there's a nice piece of dialogue that tells us a lot about this situation between Ed and Vinny. Especially Ed's way of looking at that past relationship. He brings this old radio upstairs and Vinny says, I remember that. I thought you threw it out years ago. To which Ed replies, I never throw anything out that's worth keeping. And we will find out later on a bit more history about that relationship with Vinny that it seems that he threw out. Like many Twilight Zone episodes, the origin of this one started with a short story which was written by O.C. Rich, and I think the story went unpublished as I've not been able to find it. O.C. Rich remembers how the story came about like this, and Mark Zickery documents it in The Twilight Zone Companion. O.C. Rich was a friend of Charles Beaumont, and he was at a party given by Richard Matheson. So Zickery writes, the idea for it came from a party given by Richard Matheson, attended by both Rich and a fan of old-time radio who performed bits of radio nostalgia. At the time, Rich recalls, I think I said something like, hey man, wouldn't it be great if you could just tune into those old things? So I went home and I wrote a story called Tune In Yesterday. It was Chuck's suggestion that I make it into a Twilight Zone instead of submitting it as a short story. I submitted it to the Twilight Zone and they accepted it as a story on Chuck's recommendation and asked him to do a teleplay based on it. So Charles Beaumont did the teleplay, but he didn't keep the original story intact. He did make some changes, and Zickery goes on to say that 
The original one concerned a middle-aged, unhappily married man who used the radio to escape into the past, whereas Beaumont's script deals with a sour, ageing bachelor who lives in a boarding house under the same roof as the woman who might have been his wife had things not gone wrong. And what Beaumont also brought to it was the satirical jibes of television, using television itself to do that. Beaumont presents television as this destructive and stupefying force, which we'll talk a bit more about later on. And so, ladies and gentlemen, with the strains of getting sentimental over you, Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra bid you all a very pleasant good night, direct from the Princeton campus in a broadcast of the Summer Swing Festival. And this is an applause. Before we sign off, we invite you to stay tuned for Major Bowes at his famous amateur hour. So Ed takes the radio to his room with the help of a neighborhood boy and then he hands the boy a coin and tells him to go out and buy a switchblade. Now CBS requested that this line be changed but clearly they were ignored. Ed sits back on his bed and he turns on the radio and he listens to I'm Getting Sentimental Over You by Tommy Dorsey. Now this moment kind of resonates with me a little, and the whole episode does in a way, because we live in a time where entertainment or entertainment formats often come back into vogue. I know people who collect old games consoles, I know people who collect films on VHS because they like that experience of watching films the same way they used to back in the 80s and 90s. Nostalgia plays a big part of that of course, but some will argue that video games were more enjoyable when they were simpler. Some will say that they like watching movies, especially horror movies, on old VHS tape because it adds to the atmosphere. And there are many reasons that, that people say they collect these things, but um, as long as people enjoy what they're doing, then you know, who's to say that those reasons are wrong? Now personally, while I like that kind of sting of nostalgia when you hold an old big box VHS tape in my hand. I'll stick to my Blu-rays, but there is one retro format that I do like. Vinyl has made a big comeback in recent years. Some say it's a hipster thing, you know, more about how people want to appear, how they think it makes them look, than what they genuinely are into. Some people say that vinyl sounds better, Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, I don't know, but for me the enjoyment of it is this. I play MP3s in my car or around the house, but they tend to be background noise. When I play a record, there is a ritualistic aspect to it, reading the sleeve notes, carefully taking the record out of the sleeve, putting it on the player, and then putting a needle on it. And when I play a record, I sit and I listen to the record. It's not just background noise. And in these busy times, I find it a great way to unwind and take time out. And that's kind of why this scene resonates with me a little. Ed having to work to tune in that radio. You know, there's this aspect of ritual to it, you know, and looking for what you want rather than it just being straight there. And then when he finds what he wants, he sits and he listens. It's not just background noise. The actor who plays Ed is called Dean Jagger and he was born in 1903, so would have been about 57 or thereabouts when this episode was made. 
not old by today's standards, maybe considered more old by the early 1960s standards, but when you consider that Jagger lived until 1991, when he was 87 years old, he certainly wasn't old at this point, but he did have that look of a curmudgeonly older man. And it may have been the case that they cast someone who could play older, so then when the reveal comes at the end, it was easier to de-age them for that ending scene. I don't know. But Jagger's career spanned decades, and he first hit the screen at the end of the silent era in his one and only silent film, The Woman from Hell, in 1929. But it was all talkies from then on, and he won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in the 1949 film Twelve O'Clock High. But what really strikes me about his later career especially, he worked up until 1985. And he didn't just go for like safe TV roles, although he did do those in shows like The Waltons. He'd also appear in things which were a little more off the beaten track, more cult kind of entertainment. Things like the Bruce Lee movie Game of Death, or the cult car movie Vanishing Point. Mr. Lindsay. What? You're humming at table. What was that anyway? What? That melody, it went, uh... Mm-hmm. It's called I'm Getting Sentimental Over You. I, uh, I heard it on the radio this afternoon. Well, that's an old tune, isn't it? Yeah, Tommy Dorsey. Playing it direct from the... Direct? Tommy Dorsey's dead. You don't say. Yeah, he died a few years ago. What about Major Bowes? Who? Major Bowes. Never heard of him. Well, you wouldn't. Well, he's dead, too. I heard both Major Bowes and Tommy Dorsey this afternoon on the radio. Couldn't be. The shows that Ed has been listening to on the radio are from the past. He doesn't seem to realise it at this point, but they are. Now, this line about Tommy Dorsey being dead did receive a complaint from a friend of Tommy Dorsey's widow, and he wrote in to complain that it was in poor taste to have that line in there. So by now we're here in the world of radio and somewhat ironically, as I mentioned earlier on, a man who makes his living writing for television, Charles Beaumont, is commenting negatively on the medium that he has chosen. I suppose it's not as simple as saying if he doesn't like television, he shouldn't write for it. You know, a writer has to go where the work is and him choosing not to write for television won't make television go away. But as you heard in the opening quote, Beaumont has his reservations about television. He says it doesn't thrill, transport, terrify, or enchant, it only entertains. Now with all due respect to Charles Beaumont, I think that history has proven him wrong, and to be fair, it didn't take long to do that, because the Twilight Zone did and does do all of those things, and Charles Beaumont's episodes contributed to that. But I think when there is a shift in the status quo of something within a person's lifetime, it is quite natural for them to veer towards what came first for them. You know, perhaps he is lamenting the the zombie-like way that people go home and sit in front of the television like zombies at the expense of other things like conversation, but that's a bigger discussion that we're probably best not getting too into on this show. One thing is for sure though, Charles Beaumont loved radio, Rod Serling loved radio, and as you know, I love American radio of that period too. 
I mean, not completely. For example, I don't tend to go for things like the westerns or the crime shows or the comedy shows. But in the realms of science fiction, I think 1950s America really produced some magical stuff that has a really unique flavor all of its own. And if you listen to the likes of Dimension X or X-1, they really do still hold up and they were thinking big. And it's interesting how because they were living in a world not as technically advanced as ours, they would often have ideas beyond what they could really describe. I guess that's kind of the point of science fiction, but for example, I can't remember the episode of the show, but there was one science fiction story in which machines were kind of interfacing with each other and sharing information and knowledge. And it basically was the internet, but made up of these kind of clunky old machines made with transistors and things like that. The technology they knew at that time was reaching forward to do things that they couldn't yet do. And that's, that's kind of what's beautiful and magical about it. You know, these ideas coming forward, but they haven't quite got the tools to put it in place yet. But for this episode, Rod Serling didn't use clips of Dimension X or the like. He actually reached out to a Twilight Zone actor who was in One for the Angels, Edwin who was, in his time, a radio star too. So Sailing wrote to Edwin and he explained how they were doing this show called Static and part of that they were going to need clips from old radio shows and he wrote, Since the Fire Chief is an integral as well as beloved part of the memorabilia of the time, it is essential that it be included. So in addition to your permission, I wonder if you could give us or tell us where we might obtain records or transcriptions of any of your old radio shows. Now Ed Wynn called Rod Sailing back by phone and explained to him uh, that he didn't actually have any of those clips but he put him on track to a place where he could get hold of them but um, unfortunately because of the time and he never actually got around to getting them and they used clips of a show called The Fred Allen Show instead. Now this is completely unrelated but just to give a flavour of what sailing was looking at there and the flavor of the kind of shows that people were getting at the time i'm just going to play you a short clip of the fire chief the texaco service stations and dealers from coast to coast present the fire chief double quartet don boris and the fire chief band graham mcnamee and edwin the perfect fool <laughs> well, I'm the chief again. Tonight the program's going to be different. Good evening. Yeah. Good evening, chief. I saw you last Sunday out in the country. Yeah. What were you doing carrying that lantern? Well, I, it was dark in the country, Graham. I was calling on a gale, so I carried the lantern. Well, that's funny. When my uncle was carting his wife in the country, he didn't use a lantern. Oh, I, I don't doubt that, Graham. But look what he got. <laughs> well, never, never mind that, chief. Uh, what I want to know is, did you behave yourself? Son? Oh, what do you mean, Graham? Well, I, I mean, did you keep the commandments? Oh, don't be silly, Graham. I always keep the commandments. <laughs> you do? Yes, my great trouble is with the amendments. That's my trouble. <laughs> so the Fire Chief probably isn't the kind of old-time radio show that I would personally listen to. I don't think humour always stands the test of time, but it's at least interesting to give it a listen. So back to our story. Ed wants to play 
the radio station that he's been listening to, to his housemates, the professor and Vinny, but he can't get any reception. So he tries to call the station to find out what's wrong. Information, would you please give me the number of WPDA? That's a radio station, WPDA, yes, yes. Heard Major Bose. Remember Major Bose? Hmm? Sure. <laughs> round and round she goes. And where, and where she, she stops. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. Oh. Oh. Well, what'd she say? Well, the operator said, according to uh, her supervisor, that uh, WPDA had been out of business for 13 years. So this is kind of almost uh, the penny drop moment, I suppose. Quite a staple of the Twilight Zone at this point, and not just the Twilight Zone. Any story, really, where there's an aspect of the unusual. That realisation moment. Sometimes it can be that the person that only they have been speaking to is actually dead, or in this case, that station that he'd been listening to actually went off air 13 years ago. Now we, of course, as seasoned Twilight Zone watchers, have picked up on the clues, so we know this is coming. But I'm enjoying the episode so far. You know, the radio picking up transmissions from the past is a good hook. But I think it's a bit more than that as well. There is a purpose to this. So, so I see it more than just picking up signals from the past. And rather those signals are being pushed to him. It's a good example of that Twilight Zone strangeness finding someone with a definite purpose. And that strangeness is reinforced by an address over the radio by President Franklin Roosevelt that adheres but Roosevelt hadn't been president since 1945, so that really puts a date on the strangeness. And while Ed listens to that, Vinny and the professor start to wonder if Ed is actually losing his mind. So Vinny tries to talk to him. We met in this boarding house in 1940. And it was here that you proposed. I wanted to set the date. But your mother was ill, you remember, and so you decided to wait. And that's just what we did. We, we waited and waited until by the time your mother died, it was too late. But, Vinnie, I'm not going to sit here and Don't interrupt me. I, I've got to get this thing set. Oh, I know you don't care anything about me now. I'm just a silly woman who watches television, dyes her hair, grows old. You don't even like me anymore. And I don't blame you. You're a bachelor set in your ways. You can't change what you are. And neither can I. We had our chance and missed it, Ed. But I'll tell you one thing that's true. And I know it's true. You did love me. 
as much as a man ever loved a woman. Didn't you? Yes, Finney. That's true, I did, yes. And now you love what we were. What we might have become together. So just about this time every year would have been our anniversary. You start getting unhappy. You want to go back to 1940 and start all over again. Why do you think you keep hearing getting sentimental over you on the radio? That was our song, Ed. And those programs. We used to listen to them together. In the dark. I'd forgotten. When you hear those programs, you're like a young man again with all of your life ahead of you. But it isn't so, Ed. It's all over between us. We missed our chance. We can't go back. Our female lead, Vinnie, was played by Carmen Matthews, and like her co-star, Dean Jagger, she was probably playing up her age a bit in this one. She would have been about 46 when this was made, and she wasn't a hugely prolific actress. She did do a, a solid body of work, but she did have other passions in her life. She lived in a 100-acre farm in Connecticut and set up a summer camp for disadvantaged children there. She was a passionate environmentalist, and to make sure that her beloved farm remained intact after her death, she left it in her will to the Reading Land Trust. I think she's good in this episode for what she has to work with. She has a dignity about her and she delivers that monologue beautifully. To be honest, I can't really fault any of the acting in this episode. We have an older cast here filled with screen veterans and I think that shows any weaknesses in the episode come from elsewhere, not the actors but we'll speak about those in a moment. So for the last five or so minutes of the episode, we have this piece of business where Vinny gets the radio taken away by the local junk dealer and Ed gets it back. I don't really think this adds a great deal to the story. It fills a few minutes, but I'm not sure it really adds much to Ed's arc. Now at the end of the episode, with the help of a little Twilight Zone magic, Vinnie comes into Ed's room and she appears to be 20 years younger. And then we see that Ed is too, and they're back in the 1940s with a second chance at life and a second chance to be together. Now, direct from the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, Tommy Darcy and his band. Can't you hear it? What? It's the radio. The radio they're playing. I'm getting sentimental over you. Vinny, Tommy Dorsey from the Aragon Ballroom. I know, dear. It's on this time every Thursday. And then there's Ed Wynn and, and Fred Allen and... 
it had been a long time since I'd seen Static and I couldn't really remember how it ended up. So after seeing it this time round, I sat for a moment after watching it and just contemplated it for a while. All of the Twilight Zone ingredients seemed to be there, but I was a little undecided as to whether it added up to a satisfying whole. I think what it seems to lack for me is a sense of progression, a progression of Ed's character. He starts out as a cantankerous older man and by the end he is still that cantankerous older man until him and Vinny are transported into their younger selves when he embraces the chance that he's been given. Now, the thing is, when he shuts himself away listening to the radio, he's not pining for the life he used to have or could have had. He's focused on the radio, on those shows and that music. Now, what I actually like is that the Twilight Zone seems to be reaching out to him, imbuing this old radio with the power to broadcast from the past to remind Ed of his past, to remind him what he could have had and in a sense wake him up to perhaps use what time he has left to make that connection with Vinny and not be alone anymore. In the end, the reward is actually much greater they get the opportunity to live the last 20 years over again. But it feels on end. You see, as Vinny said to Ed earlier, Ed is pining for that life, he just doesn't know it. And I do like that the radio is trying to wake him up, but maybe what was missing is that Ed didn't have a moment when he thought, you know what, that time was important to me, but it was more than just the radio. The radio was part of the soundtrack to my life, a life when I loved and I was loved, but I let it slip through my fingers. There is a glimpse of that when Vinnie makes that speech earlier on, where he, she says to him, you know, you love me more than anything or something along those lines. And he says, yes, yes, I did. But then he retreats back into himself. It doesn't really progress him in any way. I think what it needed for him to earn that second chance was a moment of realization. And when that comes, the Twilight Zone gives him his reward, that second chance. Instead, it just gives it to him anyway, so it kind of feels so sudden, like it's come out of nowhere, you know? I think Ed really needed to build up to that moment when he thought, you know what, this isn't about the radio, it's more about the chances I've missed, the connection I could have had with a woman who loved me, who probably still does love me. What have I done? You know, and when he realises that, he gets his reward. As it stands, maybe it was the reward for running to the junk shop and getting his radio back. Because the episode is all on a subconscious level. You know, and you could say, was that Ed subconsciously fighting for that second chance? Well, if it was, maybe a line or two where Ed acknowledged that would have made it feel that bit more complete. So it's... Unfortunate that I don't feel it quite pulls together at the end the way it should to make that finale really feel earned. But despite those reservations, while I wouldn't put it at the top of my Twilight Zone pile, I do think it's a good, enjoyable episode that's sweet without being overly sentimental or sickly. At the end of the day, every now and then, we can all use a reminder to maybe step back and think, 
what's important in our lives now and appreciate those things while we still have the opportunity to do it. Around and around she goes, and where she stops, nobody knows. All Ed Lindsay knows is that he desperately wanted a second chance, and he finally got it. Through a strange and wonderful time machine called a radio in the Twilight Zone. Now let's check out some listener feedback and submitted for your approval. I've had an email from Alex and he says, Tom, I discovered your podcast about a year ago and it quickly became a favourite of mine. I've been thoroughly enjoying your recent episodes and their regularity. It always brightens my day to see a notification that a new episode is available pop up. Listening to your podcast has brought back some great memories for me and I think it's because how I learned to love The Twilight Zone was not through watching it but hearing about it. When I was young, my parents took me to New York for the first time. One of the days we were there, we took a ferry to Liberty Island to see the Statue of Liberty. But this was before the internet, and while we were able to see some of the sights on the island, we did not know that we were not able to go to the top of the statue because it was closed for repairs. Naturally, I was very disappointed. My dad noticed this and somehow knew how to cheer me up. It was around this time in my life that I was first starting to read adult novels. And while my dad had always told me stories, until then, they'd always been playful and kid-friendly. For the next two hours, he and I walked around Liberty Island, while he told me his own oral versions of great Twilight Zone episodes, like The Silence, The Obsolete Man, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, and To Serve Man. To this day, I still remember him exclaiming, it's a cookbook, and then being genuinely chilled by the twist. It was one of my best memories of my childhood, asking my dad, to tell me another of Rod Sailing's tales as we walked around the shuttered base of Lady Liberty. From then on, whenever New Year's Day rolled around, my dad and I would watch the Twilight Zone marathon for some of the classics, but they were never as memorable as when he relayed them to me for the first time in his own words and his own voice. Your podcast has helped me bring that memory every time I hear it, and it has reiterated to me just how meaningful it can be. My dad used to travel every week as a hard-working young lawyer and now 20 years later I find myself in the same position as him with a family to support and responsibilities that often seem overwhelming. I like to think that when he was my age he too would watch walking distance and remember to think fondly of the past but work to find the joy in the present. I know that he did because he was able to create the kind of memory that I relate to you today. I can look forward to the time when I can pass the magic of that show onto my own children, just as my dad was able to do for me. Thank you for helping to keep Rod's legacy alive. Alex Whitman from Dallas, Texas. Alex, thank you so much. What a great story that was about um, sharing that with your dad. You know, what I find a little bit sad in, uh, in England is no channels, not even the sci-fi channel, show The Twilight Zone anymore, you know? I used to wait up until the small hours of the morning to watch it and that's what gives me that kind of connection to it 
I mean, with Alex, it, it was a, a bond with his dad, which was a lovely story. For me, it was something I discovered on my own in the middle of the night, and that's why it's got a kind of special resonance with me. But unless someone actually goes out of their way to show it to a child in England, it's uh, it's not there to be discovered, which I think is really sad. But um, that was a that was a great story. Thank you for that, Alex. Now, Andrew Schneider wrote to us last time round and he said uh, he told us a story about the book depository where JFK uh, was shot from and what it's turned into now. And this time round he says, I caught your latest podcast as I was driving to San Antonio this time to cover the Texas Democratic Convention uh, because Andrew is a broadcaster on radio. And he said, really enjoyed your take on it. Mr. Dingle was an episode which I'd read plenty of negative reviews. I hadn't seen it myself until recently. When I realized it was the next episode on your list, I watched it on Netflix. My sense was that, as with most of the Twilight Zone's attempts at comedy, this one fell flat. What made it worth watching were Burgess Meredith and Don Rickles. It struck me as I was listening to your review that Serling may have missed an opportunity with Rickles. This is a man who pioneered insult comedy I could easily imagine Sailing framing an episode around a character like Rickles' stage persona, someone who delights in putting others down, receiving the sort of cosmic justice that the Twilight Zone is famous for. As for Meredith, he's always a treat to watch, but he can only do so much with this material. His next turn, The Obsolete Man, is one of my favourite episodes of the Twilight Zone. Other than that, I'd just like to thank you for your kind words when you read my letter from Dallas. Hope all is well. All is well, Andrew, and I hope all is well with you. Thanks for your email. It's, um, yeah, I think we're kind of on the same page with Mr. Dingle the Strong there, you know. Maybe a bit of tweaking here and there, it could have it could have made it a bit better, but, you know, there's, there's still that, those things to get over, the, some of the sillier aspects of it that I think people are always going to remember, aren't they? It's just being slightly ridiculous. Now Benjamin Sterling wrote to me and uh, had a few words to say about Mr. Dingle as well. He says, Hi Tom, I've been meaning to get in touch since hearing the brilliant episode on Penny for Your Thoughts, but time isn't my ally at the moment. I personally love this episode and it's a highlight of season two for me. I always found the Twilight Zone a more disturbing and untrustworthy place when it seems to dish out good fortune to someone as it does in Penny for Your Thoughts. The same goes for Mr. Dingle the Strong. I've never been at ease with the Twilight Zone when it's so gracious to its inhabitants. I always suspect that somewhere in the future of these characters' lives will be a bad turn of events. The podcast is incredibly entertaining as always. Thank you for the hard work you put into it. It really shows keep up the great work. That's from uh, Ben, also known as Vip. And... Um, what I like about what you said there is, uh, again, this aspect of there being some rhyme or reason to the Twilight Zone and why it does things, but it's almost that it operates on a plane that we can't quite comprehend. Sometimes we can, but other times we, we just can't understand why it does what it does. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it, and, and you've touched on that in your email, so thanks very much. Now, last time round, um, I spoke about a detail uh, that was different between two of the main commentators of The Twilight Zone, Martin Grams Jr. and Mark Zickrey. And thankfully, a chap called Jamie has uh, emailed me 
with a bit of clarification on that. He says, hello, Tom. Love the podcast. I'm listening to your latest entry, Mr. Dingle the Strong. Apparently, there's a disagreement between your two main TZ sources on the origin of the lead character's name. This one is an easy call. Grams is right and Zickory is wrong. I'm including a link to a YouTube video of Sailing making a pitch to the sponsors before introducing the pilot episode, Where Is Everybody? And he refers to the episode we've always known as Mr. Denton on Doomsday as being titled Death, Destiny and Mr. Dingle. Thanks again, Tom, for taking such good care in presenting these episodes in a very entertaining and informative way. You do great justice to Rod Sailing in the Twilight Zone. Take care. Appreciate that, Jamie. Thank you. So there you go. That's cleared up that for us. And uh, and now we know for sure. Grams was right. I've had an email from Alex Baker. And he says some kind words about the show. So thank you, Alex. And then he goes on to say, I know that you're coming up on the episode Static, which is why I wanted to write to you. Even though this may not be one of the greats of the Twilight Zone, I feel it's very underrated. I feel it's a great commentary on the death of radio and the rise of television. There is something that only radio shows can do that can't be done on television. Ed Lindsay still believes in the magic of radio, while everyone else around him has moved on to television. He sees the glory days of radio as a time when he was happier. At the end of the show, the magic of the radio allows him to go back in time and better his life. I feel Sailing himself was mourning the loss of radio's golden days with this episode. Before he started working on television, he worked in radio for a number of years. He went back to radio in his later years with the Zero Hour and a project called Fantasy Park. As someone who works at a radio station myself, I appreciate what Sailing was doing in this episode. Since it's one of those videotaped episodes of The Twilight Zone, I feel that it's one of the reasons it's not as well regarded. Once again, thanks for everything you do, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your opinions on this episode. Sincerely, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Uh, some good, good feedback on Static there. And he mentioned this thing called Fantasy Park that Rod Serling did. And if I remember rightly, I think it was a concert, and it was, uh, it was produced as if to sound live. And it's supposed to be like the greatest music festival ever. You know, by this time, the, the Beatles had split up, but um, he replayed old, old Beatles performances, you know, got together all these bands that would never have been able to play together because of time and, and distance or whatever. And he set it up like this, this fake music festival. And I think that was the last thing he ever did on radio. I'll, uh, I'll have to check that out again, see if my memory served me right. And finally, our friend Robert Galise writes in with his review of Static and he says, Tom, I know you sometimes share listener reviews and comments on particular episodes. And in anticipation of your upcoming review of Static, I figured I would offer my thoughts. You're absolutely right. Now, I've said this before, but if anyone does write in, if it's an email, and I receive a lot of emails where people, you know, say, great podcast, love the show, thanks for doing it. I, you know, I will always send you a response and say thank you for that. But I don't tend to read those out on the show because, um, you know, it would just be me reading out praise for the show and it seems a bit self-serving. But I do like getting them, so, you know, and, and I always appreciate it. 
But if it's an email talking about episodes or your remembrances of the Twilight Zone, then those are the ones that I tend to read out. So Robert goes on to say, first of all, it is obviously on videotape, which gives it a different look. That has been much discussed on your show, but I appreciate it simply for it being different. It's like an alternate take of your favorite Beatles song. It's not necessarily better, but the novelty makes it interesting and desirable. Dean Jagger was terrific as Ed and was the highlight of the episode. Carmen Matthews was also effective as the wistful and aging Vinnie. The two actors seemed to have a great chemistry and their long ago love affair felt quite believable. The second act where she reminisces about the past and forces Ed to hear what he didn't want to was some of the finest television drama I've seen from that time period. Nothing spooky or mysterious was happening, but I couldn't keep my eyes off the two actors. The story moved along just fine, however the ending seemed to come a bit too abruptly for me. It was quite bittersweet as we the viewers don't know if Ed went completely mad, or if he had died, or if he really went back in time for a second chance. But even though we knew something was happening with the radio, the change in time felt rather sudden. It felt like the writers needed to wrap things up quickly and did so, which I know it was based on another story which I haven't read, but perhaps it would have been better if there were other small indications, like one of Rod Serling's beloved ticket stubs. That time might be shifting for Ed. Yeah, I, I think we're in agreement on that. You know, the, that ending just did seem to be quite sudden. It, it felt unearned to me, as I mentioned earlier, so good observation. I'm glad it's not just me. And he goes on to say, All that being said, I found the episode very enjoyable. The actors were excellent, and the comparison of radio and television were very bold for the time, but is it a classic? I would say it's near the top of the second tier of episodes, but not quite an all-time classic. Well, that's my opinion anyway. One last thought. The best line of the show made me think of you, Tom. Ed was referring to radio and said, Radio is a world that has to be believed to be seen. I know how you appreciate classic radio plays and, the, and this sums up the medium perfectly. Thanks again for your great work with the podcast. I never miss an episode. And that's from Rob. Well, thank you, Rob. You know, I, I think we're on the same page there. It's, it's sort of a good, solid Twilight Zone, but it just misses, maybe just misses the mark to get it up to the top of the heap. If you would like to get your feedback on an episode of the Twilight Zone podcast, then email me at tom at the twilightzonepodcast.com. Now in the last mini episode, I talked about a couple of competitions that I've got running to kind of get involved with the Twilight Zone podcast. I won't go into the details because they're all there in that episode if you want to get involved. Um, I just will mention this, you know, on the episode where you can come on the podcast and talk to me about things I mentioned, you would need to be able to speak to me over Skype and... What I didn't mention is that, you know, even if you've got a phone with Skype installed on it, I have interviewed people uh, for magazines and so on using that, and it usually sounds fine. So if, you know, test that out with a friend, and if you want to do it, then get in touch, and the details on how to do that are there. Uh, before I go, I just want to give credit to a couple of things. At the start of this episode, I was just having a little fun playing around with the whole radio aspect of this Twilight Zone. So I want to give credit to the clips that I used. The first one was of a lady called Sharon Hawkinson. 
So let's say that, you know, let's liken it to one of my favorite movies, Planet of the Apes. You know, if we are in the Planet of the Apes where now the world is overrun by Twilight Zone podcasts, then that would make her Caesar because she did a podcast called The Twilight Zone Club back in 2007 and it is still on iTunes now and it seems to be staying there for the you know, the whole of, of time, really. It only lasted three episodes, but she was the first Twilight Zone podcast, so I thought it'd be fun to kind of uh, pay a bit of tribute to Sharon Hawkinson by, by including that clip. I hope she is well and happy, whatever she's doing. Um, then we had our old friend Luke, who was the host of the Twilight Zone podcast for a while, and, you know, I never give credit to Luke, to be honest, because he, in a lot of ways, was the saviour of the show. Uh, at a time when I couldn't do it anymore, he took up the reins and carried it on uh, to a time until a time when he couldn't do it anymore, but I could. And if he hadn't picked it up for that time, there's a chance that maybe I just would have let it fade away. So, you know, good to get his voice back on the show, even if it is just a little cameo. And the last one is uh, my friends over at the Twilight Pwn podcast. Now, I wanted to get them in especially because I'm not exactly sure when it is, but in the next couple of weeks uh, is going to be the end of the Twilight Pwn podcast because they've exhausted all of the Twilight Zone shows. And, you know, I just wanted to pay a little bit of tribute to them because it's a, it's a really great show. I always enjoy listening to it. And they're a couple of good guys. I speak to them occasionally behind the scenes. Um, and... You know, it, it will be missed, but it's a it's a good show and there's a lot of re-listen value there to, to go back to and hopefully it won't be the last we hear of them. So hopefully it was a little surprise for them. I didn't ask permission to use it, so, um, you know, but I'm sure they're, they're cool with it because they're, they're two good guys. So my very best wishes to them. So what's up next on the Twilight Zone podcast? Well, it is an episode called The Prime Mover. So we'll speak about that next time on the Twilight Zone podcast. Bye for now.